evening and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1. I learned something this week while I was in Pennsylvania. My wife was looking in a cookbook of my mother's, and it said, biscuits and sermons are made better by shortening. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm not making any guarantees, but Ephesians <laughs> chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you tonight about walking in his will, walking in his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open our precious word. Lord, I pray as we consider this subject tonight of walking in the will of God, seeking to know your will, I pray that you give us wisdom, discernment, and understanding into thy truth, that you might be glorified, and that we might be edified, and instructed, and helped. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a lot of people have a funny idea of what it means to know the will of God or how to know the will of God and most people make it complicated. Yeah, God's not really complicated. We complicate them because we try to force God into our mold and we complicate him by doing that. It gives us a blurred image of who he is when we do that. So we don't see him for who he is. And because we don't see him for who he is, therefore our understanding of him is fuzzy or not clear. Uh, But the will of the Lord is not complicated. The word will simply means choice, desire, or pleasure. Um. I'm going to just give you a few things tonight. This is, these are very simple and basic things, but things that are very important in our understanding of God and His will for our lives. First of all, uh, God's will, it's God's will for all people to be saved. Now we know that's true. That's true. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle by, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Uh, it was God's will, of course, you know, Paul was, or Saul, as he was known, as his Hebrew name, uh, was known as a persecutor, a blasphemer, but even him, and, and, and consenting to the murder of Stephen, even him, it was God's will for him to be saved. You know, some, probably have, some people have this idea that, and I had a man say to me one time that he was too great a sinner, or too big a sinner, he used the word big, and he was big. Um, and he was a big sinner, literally. I'm talking spiritually, too. He, was, he, had, he had done some wicked things. But there's no such thing as too great a sinner to be saved. 
God will have all men to be saved. Man is, man, understand that man is the crowning point of God's creation. It was man alone that was created to have fellowship with God. Proverbs 8 tells us that, that the delights of the Son of God was with the sons of men. First uh, John 1 tells us that, that, he, 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 that he might have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these right we, things write we unto you that your joy may be full. God wants us to have joy in life, and that joy is the fruit of fellowship with God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4-6, through 6, Paul writing to young Timothy said, Who will have all men to be saved and to come on the knowledge of truth? For there is one God and one mere between men, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I was reading a book this afternoon, or I started it. Somebody we've done some work for gave it to me. It's by John MacArthur. First thing he talks about is election. Now, some people get a little upset when you talk about election because it makes God look like he's unfair because God didn't choose all men to be saved. That's basically what he said. Well, he can believe that he wants, but the Bible contradicts that. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, the Son man count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, when, when God says all men, he means all men. When he says any, that, 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 not, that any not willing that any, he means not that anyone would perish. See, the, our, our Calvinist friends take words like all and any and whosoever, and they say, well, that means the whosoever of the elect. Soon after we were married, I had this guy, I don't know how I met him, but he came around and he wanted to discuss, he, he liked to discuss things about the Bible, and Bible versions is one of them, and then he got into Calvinism, and he was Calvinist. And he said, you know, uh, and he quoted Bruce Metzger, who was a, a, a um, theologian at Princeton Cemetery in New Jersey. Um, anyway, he was, you know, supposed to be a scholar and all this and so on and so forth. Anyway, he said, you know, he says that that word all doesn't mean everybody. It means the all of the elect, the all of a certain group. Well, I had enough Greek to make me dangerous with it in Bible college, you know, so I looked up the word all. It's the word pos, and it means all, everyone, anyone. Um, no. You know, and this is true, you know, the Bible states this in the Old and New Testament. For example, in Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, And therefore will the Lord wait, again, the idea of long-suffering, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. See, God was willing to wait so that he could be gracious to Israel. You know, they were in a state of rebellion at this time. And, and, and Isaiah is saying, the Lord's going to wait. He's long-suffering. And of course, the Bible tells us in other places, for example, in Jeremiah 25, 4, that the Lord has sent unto you all his servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened nor inclined your ear, 
You know, Jesus said in Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, what killeth the prophets and sonest them that are sent unto thee? How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. You know, Jesus, the Lord was still waiting. In Acts 13, 15, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, so they were still reading the, the law and the prophets. They sent unto them saying, you men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. You see, the Lord, he says, the Lord said, he would wait that he may be gracious. Ezekiel 33, 11, he says, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? You know, God has no pleasure in man being separated from him for all eternity in a lake of fire. No pleasure in that. And he don't send anybody there. We go there, or he will go there by their own choice. Lamentations 3, 21, This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. You see, He is the Lord of life. He's the Lord that gives life. He's not the Lord of death. Death doesn't come by the Lord Jesus Christ. Death came by man's sin. Of course, in John 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then again, 1 John 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John says, My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. In other words, he's saying here, he's not for us of this church, just us for us church of this church. Not just for the elect, as some would say, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, it's God's will for all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Secondly, it is, for, it is the Lord's will for us to know his purpose for our life. Notice again verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had Paul's purpose here is laid out. He knew his purpose. It was to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was God's will for his life. That was God's will for his life. Uh, and, and so it is the Lord's will for us to know his purpose in life. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, Who has saved us, again, Paul's 
under inspiration, turns this to, to Timothy, talking about the Lord, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So he's called us with an holy calling. It's a holy calling. Uh, you know, we serve a God who works all things. Of course, Ephesians 1.11 tells us that he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Uh, uh, and therefore, we need to learn his will. You're sort of like children. Children need to learn the will of their parents. And, and not... You know, and I've often heard this when I was 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 uh, training children, our children, that you don't want to break their will, or you don't want to break their their spirit. You need to bend their will. You need to break their will. You need to conform their will to yours. You need to break the will, but don't break the spirit. And 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 we need to break our will and allow it to be conformed to the Lord's will. And so his will, it is according to his purpose. The word purpose there means a setting forth of a thing. And it carries with it the idea of placing of it in view. Now, that brings up a question. How does God show his purpose to us? Is God practical? Or is it just out there somewhere and you know we can't really... Apply it to life. Well, let's read on here. First, Second Timothy, one verse, verse ten. But is now made manifest. What's made manifest? His purpose. Verse. Let's go to verse nine again. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So, so now God has revealed to us or made manifest to us through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, what his purpose is for our life. What his purpose is. Uh, you know, Paul, you know, think about it. Paul's purpose was manifest to him. By the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we might say it this way, by the word of God. They are one and the same. They are one and the same. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now I can assure you that none of us, God's will for isn't for any of us to be apostles. And that's that's no longer an, a scriptural office. But anyway, uh, Paul's purpose was manifest to him by the word of God, or we could say by the Son of God. And that's how God manifests his purpose or his will for us. Acts chapter 9 verse 6 says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now it's interesting here, the Lord didn't tell him. What did he tell him? You go into the city and it will be told you. So who told it to him? Well, go go up to verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, 
Now he's speaking to Ananias. The Lord's speaking to Ananias. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And me there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So, you know, it was not revealed in the vision that Paul had on the Damascus road, his purpose in life, it was revealed to him through the ministry of the word to him and the disciples at Damascus. See, God, God has ordained for men to be instructed by men. That's his method. I didn't make it up. He did. You know, he, he, he would go around preaching the gospel and, and teaching the people, and then he sent out his disciples to do the same, and then he told them when he left that you're to carry on what I've begun. And, and wherever you find people coming to the Lord, you have the influence of someone or somebody working, you know, Cornelius. Of course, God appeared to Cornelius, but he said, you send for Peter, and he'll tell you what you need to do. You send for Peter. God could have told him. He didn't need Peter. But he said, you send for Peter. And here, he tells Saul, you go into the city and it'll be told you what, what, what thou must do. So, so it is revealed to us, God's, God's purpose for our life is revealed to us through the ministry of his word. You know, it's not through some feeling or some emotion. You know. Oh, somebody might say, well, I just feel God wants me to be a missionary. Okay, where'd you get that out of Scripture? You know, is, is, has the Lord directed that, that or through His Word or is that just some feeling you have? Uh, you know, some people have feelings about some strange things. I had a guy tell me one time, you know, that he goes out and he flies his airplane on Sundays and he's closer to the Lord than most of us are. Well, God is a spirit. And he's everywhere. And he's not worshiping the Lord up there in the clouds flying around in an airplane on the Lord's Day, I can assure you that. Uh, no, it's revealed to us through his word. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 1. Again, these are familiar verses. But I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we see here that, that to have the word of God or the, I'm sorry, the will of God revealed to us to understand what God's will is, we have to be uh, 
uh, surrender our bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, uh, acceptable unto God, and be working to be conformed to Him, allowing Him to transform our minds. How do you transform your mind? It says, um, the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look at the Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Compare some, some scripture with some scripture here. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ, or by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. Now, God, the, Paul say, uh, the Bible says here that, that our love, he wants our love to abound yet more and more. And you know, people will say, well, I just love the Lord. But do they really? If we love the Lord, he says we're to love him and abound more and more in knowledge and all judgment. And proving, approving, or testing, or examining things of excellence. And the idea here is we're, we're examining everything by the word of God. See, we, see whether it's approved by God uh, and it is right in the sight of the Lord so that we can be uh, uh, filled with the fruits of righteousness. That we can be transformed into his image. So the will of God or his purpose for our life is revealed to us as we surrender our will to his. Or we would say, as we obey Him. You know, there's a little song we used to sing when we were kids. Obedience is the very best way to what? Show that we believe. You know, I've heard many times people say how much they love the Lord, but their life doesn't show it. Life doesn't show it. Where's the evidence? Where, where are you showing that you are approving things that are excellent or striving to approve things that are excellent? You're working to obey His will. Back to go to, to Psalm chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25. We have an example of this in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 25. In Psalm 25, verse 12, it says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Now, the word, understand the word fear means to, to do honor or reverence or to defer to. And again, the, the idea of deferring to would be I would surrender my will to the one I fear. You know, when I was a boy... I deferred my will to dad's. Uh, and, and, and God wants us to defer our will to his. And, and, and so he asks that question, what man is he that feareth the Lord? And then he makes this statement, him shall he teach in the way 
that he shall choose. So the person that defers his will to God's will be instructed as to what God's will is. It's really that simple. I used this illustration when we were at camp last summer that when I was growing up on the farm, I watched Dad. I watched, I would ride the tractor while he drove it before I was big enough to drive. And I remember the first time he put me on the tractor to drive it, I already knew how to push in the clutch. I knew how to put it in gear. I knew how to set the throttle. I knew everything to do because I watched him. And he told me what to do. Although the first time I put it in the wrong gear. <laughs> but, uh, you know, because the gears were close. You know, it takes a little while to learn, you know, like a car. If you if a new car, you get in and if it sticks shift, you know, the gears can be close. But... But, but, but I knew what to do. Basically, I knew what to do. And the more I watched and, 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 and deferred to Dad and learned from him, the more things that I was able to do or knew how to do. And the more things he gave me to do. You know, first I was just driving the farm all sea, the smallest tractor. But, but in not too long a time, I was driving the 544. Boy, that was a big time at that time. Uh, you know, but, but you know, you know the, so, you know, I learned as I watched him and learned from him. And, and, and as we fear the Lord, and him shall he teach the way that, again, that he shall choose. That he shall choose. Now, if you'd write in your Bible, I would write by that verse, Abraham, and put this reference, Genesis eighteen seventeen. And go to Genesis 18.17. Genesis 18.17. The Lord's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he visits Abraham before he does that. And uh, he makes again that promise to Abraham that he's going to have a son by Sarah. And then just before he goes to heads to Sodom and Gomorrah, in verse 17 of Genesis 18, he says this. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In other words, here's a man that fears me, and I'm going to teach him, or I'm going to tell him, what I'm about to do. You see, God will reveal his will to us as we obey Him, as we fear Him, as we defer to Him, we can know His purpose in our life. Thirdly, not as it's God's will for all men to be saved, it's God's will for us to know His purpose in life, our purpose in life, but it is God's will that His grace is manifested in our lives. Notice verse 2, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 says, Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's God's will that His that His grace is manifested in our lives. You know, God's grace is to have God's grace is to have His favor. You know, we, we often say that grace is the unmerited favor of God, but it also carries with it uh, not only the favor but the enabling power of God to serve faithfully, to stand fast 
to overcome, to endure afflictions, and to suffer. Now you might say, I'm not sure I want all those things. But I'm here to tell you all those things are part of the Christian life. But God's grace is sufficient. And it's His will that His grace be manifested in our lives. That's how we bring glory to Him. That's how we bring glory to Him. Uh, in 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul said this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting, in the, putting me in the ministry. You see, it's, it's not, he says it's not me. God hath enabled me. It's God's favor. It's God's grace. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 1, he says, To stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not again, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So stand fast. In Ephesians chapter six, verse ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, God can enable us to stand fast, to hold to the truth, to not compromise or give in to the pressures of the time. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse ten. First Corinthians fifteen, verse ten. Paul said this, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So Paul, you know, he and he's not bragging here, he's just stating the fact that he labored more than all the other disciples. But it was simply the grace of God or the favor of God that enabled him to do that. To serve faithfully. And of course, to endure all the afflictions and the suffering. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. This is Paul's glory list, I guess you might call it. But really, it's how the Lord enabled him to endure the afflictions and to suffer for his name's sake. Notice verse 18 of First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 11. See that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing yourselves are wise. For you suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, 
in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. But those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the infirmities which concern my, uh, of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Eretus, the king kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me, and through a wind in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Now, listen to Bobby Mitchell talk about this one time, and he said, you've got to understand what the wall windows were used for. They didn't have sewage back then. And guess where they threw all the refuse? Out the wall windows. But it was the only safe place for Paul to escape. Basically into a sewer. Fleeing for his life. And Paul, he goes on, and I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but drop down to verse 5 of chapter 12. He says, Of such a one will I glory, yet of, not, of myself will I not glory, but in mine infirmities. Though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I, have, now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or he that heareth of me. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for me. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches and necessities, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I am strong. You know, Paul suffered and endured all these trials and tribulations. And God's grace enabled him and was manifested through his trials. You know, and top of all the things that he endured, he had a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know ex- for sure what that is. The Bible seems to indicate, he didn't, seems to indicate in other places that he had, not, had an eye problem. He wrote to the Galatians, and he sees, you see how large letter I wrote. He often used a manuas, I guess is how you say it, a secretary or somebody to dictate his letters for him, and he'd sign them. But it's, and, and, the, and then the Galatians talked about how they would have plucked out their eyes and given them to him them to him so uh, above what uh, all these other things that he endured he had this thorn in the flesh I think God had been tempted to quit you know when I sit in a crowd of people I have a hard time hearing what people are saying they say I'm getting hard of hearing you know it's frustrating and yet to lose your eyesight you see Paul God's grace was manifested in the life of Paul. And it's God's will for his grace to be manifested in our lives. You know, Acts 14.22 says that, that, I think it was speaking of Barnabas, that he was confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in faith 
and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. You know, the, the Christian life is a life of tribulation. It's not easy. But it's a whole lot better than the things, the suffering and hardships of this old world. In fact, the psalmist in Psalms chapter 25 Verse 13, talking about the man that feared the Lord, and him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. And then it says this, his soul shall dwell at ease. The Christian life is a whole lot better than what that world offers out there. You see, God wants to see, God wants the world to see that we have something different that's worthwhile. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, Turn to him the other also. We're talking about an insult here. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn that not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. You know, that's what the world does. Remember when, I, when Paul was young and I was helping this old fellow in Maine, and he was saying, he was telling me one day. He said, "You need a, you need a. It's tit for tat in this world. You need to treat people just like they treat you. If they're nasty to you, you need to be nasty right back to them." I listened to the world, and I finally I said, "Ernest, if I did that, I would not help you." Because he was not the nicest old man. I said, and he used to, he, he used to curse the Jews. I finally said one day, I said, Ernest, if it wouldn't be for a Jew that died for your sin on the cross of Calvary, I wouldn't lift a hand, a finger to help you. So I don't want to hear anything else about the Jews. And I never did. You see, God wants us to show the world that we have something different than what they have. You know, the world hates their enemies. But he says in verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans or the unsaved the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You see, you know, God, it's God's will for His grace to be manifested in our lives. And then we need to see a fourth thing. Walking in God's will brings the peace of God. Notice verse 2 again. Verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father 
and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul, because he was walking in the will of God, he knew what God's purpose was for life, he was confident. He was secure. He was settled in his life. Because he understood God's will for his life. He was walking with the Lord. He, he was not unsettled by what the other apostles did. You know, Peter, you know, we read about it in the book of Galatians, at one point Peter was drawn away with the Judaizers, and uh, before the Jews came down from Jerusalem, uh, he would eat with the Gentiles. When they came down, he withdrew himself and would not eat, and even so much as Barnabas got carried away in it. And Paul was not deterred by that at all. Because he knew what God's will was. And he was walking in it. That didn't unsettle him. To thinking, oh, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. No, he knew what the word of God said. And he was doing it. You know, you can have confidence. It's, it's not cockiness or arrogance to have confidence in the will of God. It's just security. You know, sometimes, <laughs> I shouldn't admit this, but sometimes I look, you know, I might hear about somebody and I look them up to amuse myself with what other churches are doing. Not that I care what they're doing. Or not that it bothers, it does bother me in a sense, but not that I'm worried about, well, I'm not sure we're doing the right, maybe we ought to do, no. No. You see, Walking in the will of God brings peace to your life. And the key, again, the key to this is submitting yourself to Him. Look at, look at uh, Philippians chapter 2. I mentioned this a little bit, but look at Philippians chapter 2. But this is so important. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be you, which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, we're told to have the same mind as Christ did, and the mind of Christ was, he, he bent his will or submitted his will to the will of the Father. He laid down, he cut off his own will and laid it down, if you will, alongside or in agreement with the will of the Father in dying for our sin. It was not something he wanted to do. That's why he prayed in the garden. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to do it. He was the holy, harmless Son of God and the thought of becoming sin for us was violently, violently repulsive to him. But it was God's will. It was God's will. And he submitted himself to that. 
He surrendered himself to that. And, and so Paul says we need to have that mind. And if we have that mind, if we, if, go over to chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'll try and put this together here. He says, be careful for nothing. The word careful means to, to not be anxious or to worry or fret. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if we will submit ourselves to the will of God, we are to pray and trust the Lord for the daily provisions and the application of His promises. But the key is, again, submitting to God's will. And allowing Him then to direct through prayer and the study of His Word to direct our footsteps in the application of His Word to our everyday life. And trusting Him for provisions as He's promised. You know, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust thee in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now the name Jehovah is the I Am, the All-Sufficient One. You know, we can trust in the All-Sufficient One. We can depend upon Him. And so, you know, as we walk in the will of God, it will bring peace our life. They bring peace to our life. Uh, you know, we live in a troublesome world. A world full of division. A world full of strife. We can have peace. Because God has promised to provide our needs. How's he going to do that next year? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I can't tell you how he's going to do it. I can tell you how I think he's going to do it. But he has said he will do it. You know, trusting the Lord is trusting him today. Letting him worry about tomorrow. You know, when I was growing up, again, when I was growing up, I never worried about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? You know, I had enough older siblings, they passed down their clothes, so I never worried about that. Um, sometimes they wore out, so we had to buy new ones. But I never worried about, it. what am I going to eat? Is there going to be food on the table tomorrow? That wasn't my responsibility. That was Dad's. And there always was. There was always plenty of food to eat. You see... It's not my responsibility to provide for my needs. It's my Lord's. And He can do it. He is the Lord Jehovah in whom is everlasting strength. So we simply need to rest in His promises. And we'll rest in it if we walk in His will, seeking to do His will. And, and His will is simply that which is pleasing to Him. You know, young people say, well, I wish I knew what the will of God is. And what they're saying is, I wish I knew what the will of God is for my life five years down the road. Forget about five years down the road. You do what you know to be right 
now that is the will of God for your life. God doesn't tell us or write out the plan for my life. He directs day by day. You know, we ought, I'm not saying we shouldn't plan. But we have to trust God day by day. So might God help us to seek to do his will, to know his will, to study his word, to sit under the ministry of his word. Sunday school and the services of the church because the word of God, the will of God is revealed to us through the teaching and the preaching of his word. You know, think about it. Most people didn't have Bibles when this was written. There were parchments passed around, portions. And even up until, you know, how many hundreds of years ago, not everybody had a Bible. It was unusual if you had a Bible. Uh, no, they learned the word of God through the ministry of the word from someone that the Lord had um, instructed or provided means for or ordained. So help, might God help us to know his will, to simply be obedient to it. Let's pray.